0: All you beautiful people. It's good to be with you this morning. And um, I oh, love lifting up God's name and um, giving Him the praise and the glory. Glory in the highest. You know, i see seen those, those uh, uh, football players on the field and they're doing this number, trying to get the crowd to, you know, make a little more noise. That's what we're doing on Sunday mornings when we all get together. We all celebrate who he is and what he's gotten accomplished in our lives. It's like, come on, everybody. Let's celebrate God today. I did notice, though, that Cade was not able to, to present an exhortation while wearing his San Francisco 49ers slippers. He just couldn't bring himself, you know, to wear the slippers and say the name of God at the same time. It's just not quite right. He went and changed pretty quick after he was done, though, so. (laughs) Oh, man. Happy uh, Slipper Sunday. I hope you you had a good week, and I hope that you're uh, dialed in, ready to go, ready to listen, ready to learn. Uh, I've got some things I want to share with you this morning um, concerning... Uh, God's blueprints, the church blueprints that uh, we've been working on for the last three or four weeks. When we started this series we began with a warning about how the Bible can mess you up and how some bogus Bible teachers, if they take Scripture out of context, can really cause some problems. The more we move towards guessing and speculation about Scripture, the farther away we get from the real life Bible character building that God wants. Next, we saw how Paul was one of the worst sinners in that that how those type of people are the ones we want among us because God's grace and mercy. This isn't a health club. It's not a gold's gym here. We're not a bunch of spiritually perfect people that like to get together and show off their spiritual muscles. It's more of a hospital where we find hurting people, finding forgiveness and renewed hope in the future. Last week, we looked at the attitude, the attitude that we should take when we find difficult passages of Scripture and how Scripture should always lead us to love. Today, we're going to look a little bit at a, at a leadership checklist, a uh, marks of maturity, if you will, and uh, the minimum requirements for, for spiritual leadership. And, and these requirements are not just for a select few. Uh, I understand that there's times when uh, when, a, when a church is trying to develop leadership and and the deacons and elders, want to, we want to lift them up and we want to ask them to, to take on that role. But really, these spiritual leadership checklists can be util, utilized for each and every person. We can all attain to a certain measure. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. A ta- the telltale marks of spiritual maturity. What does spiritual maturity look like? What benchmarks or milestones can I watch for in my journey? Each person is going to make that journey a little bit differently. Some slower, some faster, some over more rocky terrain, and some over smoother. It doesn't matter if we aspire to be an ordained elder or we aspire to bring youth group snacks. We might uh, be a single mom or we might be an evangelist or a minister of a large congregation. These marks of spiritual maturity are the measurement. No matter what your magnitude of impact that, that you will have on people around you, we are all leaders, and it would do us all some good to look at these minimum requirements. I want you to get out your Bibles today. That's not uncommon for me to ask you to get your Bibles out. Get your Bibles out, and if, and if you didn't bring your Bible down, there may be someone next to you that you can share with. And if they're not willing to share, I am um, officially giving you permission to steal their Bible, all right? Find 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3 is where we're at this morning, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Take your time. Do you know where Timothy is? Timothy's in a bunch of T's at the close, pretty close to the back of your Bible. First Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And because you have extremely comfortable slippers on today, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read this passage of scripture. It's not long. Uh, I think you can handle it. Uh, get your Bibles out and follow along. I'm going to be reading from the NLT, so if you can switch on your app, go for it. If not, just follow along, and uh, we're going to read this passage of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. Verse 3, he must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? Verse 6, a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud, and the devil might cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into devil's trap. Verse 8, in the same way, deacons must be well respected and have integrity. They must have, not be heavy drinkers and, and, or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, let them serve as deacons. Verse 11, in the same way, their wives must be respected and must be not, not slander others. They must exercise self-control and faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon. So if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Let's pray. Dear God in Evan, we thank you so much for joining us today in in our celebration of you and our celebration of life and the the life that you've given us. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be leaders in our own way in whatever aspect of of our lives that we are leaders. God, thank you for that opportunity. God, help us to lead in a way that pleases you and help us to, as we journey across this, this life, help us to focus on these milestones and making it to them. God, I pray that you'll allow us this morning to dive deep into our hearts and minds, allow you to transform us, transform our ways of thinking about the things we're going to talk about today. God, we want to be changed by you today. We want to leave here better people. God bless with that this morning. Pray this things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This passage of scripture is packed full of all kinds of great things. We're going to take a quick overview, a quick look, and then we're going to um, dive in a little bit deeper. First, we want to just take a quick, quick overview. So spiritual maturity in a nutshell, really in a nutshell, it's, it's, I want to say no glaring weaknesses. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, Ed, he's, he's a really nice guy, but you ever hear that? He's a really, she's a, she's a really nice lady, but it could be that he or she's a little short fuse, or maybe he's a guy at the party that has always, has a few too many. Maybe he's the one that, that is obsessed with money. These are glaring weaknesses, but we don't want to see in the leader that is above reproach. This leader's not perfect, but there should be, shouldn't be any glaring weaknesses this list also I want to mention is, is more about progress than it is about perfection. We're looking for progress. We're looking for a, a bullseye that we're aiming for, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That's what we're aiming for. This is, the, this is the aim of those who want to become spiritual leaders. Not here to lower any standards. But Paul is, trying, is not trying to raise the bar so high for Timothy either that no one will feel qualified to serve in this way. This list is more about the present than it is about the past. First Timothy chapter three and verse two, look at it, it says, an overseer must not give people a reason to criticize him, right? He's, he's sort of above reproach. He's, he's it's got, it's, his life has got, has got no glaring weaknesses. First Timothy three eight, in the same way deacons must be respected by others. There's that, just that piece of respect that we have for these individuals. Those individuals who want to be a leader of some sort. Titus 1, seven, a church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. We're looking for someone who is striving for that blameless life. Are you that person? No glaring weaknesses? So in our quick look, I also want you to notice what's not on this list. I want you to notice what's not on this list. Well, there's a bunch of stuff that, that we're really impressed with, that's not on this list. Once again, I'm not trying to lower the bar here. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm not trying to make it so that everyone can be the, the chosen leader that God wants. But think about it. What kinds of things are we impressed with? Do we look at and think, you know what? That person, that, that guy, that lady, they are a spiritual leader. Sometimes when we think of those things, they're not really things that are on this list. What sort of traits and qualities do we think of when we look at the benchmarks of a good leader? We often feel guilty if these things aren't a part of our lives. And if they are a part of our lives, then we think we're really cool, right? The things on this list I'm about to share with you aren't on the list to be qualified leader. And, and they're not part of a person's life who is striving to be a spiritual leader. Look at it. My first one there is giftedness. Do you see giftedness anywhere in that list? Did, did you see giftedness anywhere in that passage of Scripture? It's not about their gifts. It's not about your gifts. When we see people out there that are blessed with great giftedness, we think they must be great leaders. Don't ever do this. Oftentimes we do this with musicians, we do this with authors, we do this with with maybe even people here. We look at their giftedness, but really their giftedness has no bearing on their spiritual maturity. Giftedness can come packaged in an amazing spiritual giant, but giftedness can also come packaged as a complete loser. Look at what Paul told the Corinthian church. He starts off in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse 7. He says, Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, wouldn't you want to be a part of that church? I bet they had an awesome praise team. I bet they had an amazingly talented, gifted, uh, uh, motivational speaker. I bet their service was vibrant because, look, it says they had every spiritual gift you need. They had it all. But look, down just a couple of Oh, not even a chapter and a half later in 1st Corinthians chapter 3 starting in verse 1 what's he say dear brothers and sisters when I was with you I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world and as though you were infants in Christ I had to feed you with milk not solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Now wait, did, did we switch from one church to another here? Is, is for some reason a, a Paul speaking in the chapter 1 to, to one group of people and in chapter 3 to a different group? No, it's the same group. It's the same people. He's saying they have every spiritual gift, but but they're not spiritually mature. Giftedness is not on the list. What else isn't on the list? Theological training. What's that? Theological training. Nowhere in Scripture do we see a requirement of a spiritual leader to have a seminary degree. Theological training is not a benchmark or milestone for, for the spiritually mature. You don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be a, a scholar in order to be spiritually mature. I'm personally grateful for this. Well, I, don't, I couldn't make the list. I don't have a, a seminary degree. I wouldn't mind going to school for some theological training, but you know what? I don't have one. Many of the most successful churches in America right now are led by people that don't have seminary degrees. I've heard that once one has gone to Bible college or seminary, it takes several years to get it out of their system. Some, some people even call it a cemetery degree. Just because one knows the Bible does not make them godly. You could know it cover to cover, and you may not be spiritually mature. John 13 and verse 17, look at what Jesus says. He says, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. There's a difference between knowing them and doing them, right? We need to do them to make the list. What else isn't on the list? Well, religious disciplines aren't on the list either. How many of you would agree that a healthy prayer life is a good discipline? Raise your hand. Healthy prayer life, good discipline? Yeah, absolutely. How about reading your Bible and studying, studying God's Word? Is that a healthy discipline? Yeah, absolutely. And um, how, about, how about sharing your faith, leading others to Christ, helping them become, uh, you know, a Christian? That's something we should do, right? Those are all healthy, but once again, they're not on the list. We as individuals can adopt these great habits and disciplines, but in themselves, they are not a measure of spiritual maturity. Because if they were, there may be some of us that would just concentrate on those disciplines rather than actually being spiritually mature Colossians chapter 2 and verse 20 it says you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world so why do you keep, keep following the rules of the world such as don't handle don't taste, don't touch such rules are mere human teaching about things that, that deteriorate as we use them these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-control, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. How much you read your Bible doesn't make you godly. It's going to help you know who God is, but that doesn't make you godly. It doesn't magically just penetrate your heart and soul and make you the person God wants you to be. Tools are great, but they can't and never will measure your spiritual maturity. Religious disciplines didn't make the list. The last one that didn't make the list is, is, is enthusiasm. The last one I'm going to mention. Enthusiasm, it didn't make the list. You ever, you ever come across those hyperdogs? There's, there's a lot of hyperdogs out there. Jack Russells, you ever, you ever been around a Jack Russell Terrier? They are bouncing off the walls, literally all over the place. You know what? I think there are some Christians that are hyper-dog Christians. They bounce off the walls, and they're always excited about whatever's going on. If it's, if it's Christian, they're all excited about it. You might be super outgoing and hyperactive when it comes to your Christian walk. But if it's not backed by character, the heart and soul of, of what God wants in our hearts, it's worthless. The opposite is also true. There's some super mellow Christians out there who don't really get riled up about anything. Once again, it's, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not on the list. It didn't make the list of the spiritually mature. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of your heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's ways of making people right with himself, refusing to accept God's way by clinging to their own way of getting right with God and trying to keep the law. Enthusiasm didn't make the list. So what did make the list? Well, there's a weird translation and a blind spot and three surprises that made the list. And that's where we're going to spend the, just the, the little bit left of our time. That's where we're going to spend our time. A weird translation of blind spot and three surprises. This um, notification that keeps popping up on my iPad, I'm going to remove it. But before I remove it, I'm going to go ahead and mention what the notification was for. After we got a weird translation of blind spot and three surprises. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, look what it says. It says, An overseer then must have. Be above reproach. The husband of but one wife. Temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. This husband of but one wife has always sort of just hit me funny. It's been a, in a, been a place of debate. It's been a place of, well, what's, what's going on here? What's, what's this about? The NLT translation says he must be faithful to his wife. The message says committed to his wife, and in the Greek this literally means a one woman man. A qualified leader, a leader uh, in the Lord's church, one that is going to aspire to become an elder or deacon, is going to have eyes for one woman, his wife. Not two or three, not just any woman, but his wife, and definitely not the hundreds that are at the click of a mouse. He's not going to be a player, a flirt, a womanizer. Well, what's the difference between a husband of but one wife and, and one who is faithful to his wife? If we leave it husband of but one wife, you could not be godly if you were single, divorced, or remarried. Your marital status doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you are godly. Your, your spiritual maturity is not based on whether or not you are married if we left a husband of one wife, it, it really contradicts the rest of Scripture. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. It says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin and who worship idols and commit adultery and are male prostitutes and, and practice homosexuality or, or thieves or greedy or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow, that's a list. I bet if we were honest though, and we should be because we're in church, and if I ask us to raise our hands, if we could all close our eyes and raise our hand. I bet you most of us would be guilty of something on that list because look at what verse 11 says, some of you were once like that, but what does it say? You were cleansed, you were made Holy you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Because of this weird translation, many have focused on marital status more than moral purity. If we translate this passage, husband of only one wife, it makes the past more important than the future and the present. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? New person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. We can't allow ourselves to dwell in the past. We've gotten hung up on this one trait. Every other trait has been overcome. You see, you see uh, drunkards come out of being an alcoholic and become a spiritual leader. We have seen people who have been caught in greed and entrenched in, in Deception with money, and they've come out of that and become spiritual leaders. The same thing is also true. A a man who was not always a one woman man can become what God wants him to be a one woman man and become a spiritual leader of the Lord's church. If we translate this passage to husband of one wife, it makes the past more important than the future or the present, rather. Future, too. With that said, though, I want you to understand, in today's society, there seems to be a lack of genuine, sacrificial, and unconditional love. In marriage, we, see, we have seen many flippantly marry and divorce. Well, she just doesn't chew her gum right, and uh, I'm just going to have to move on. Well, he just, he just doesn't ever make it to the dirty clothes hamper with that dirty sock, so he's out. Okay, this might be extreme, but you know what? Not very much. They're not very extreme in comparison to what some people get divorced over today. Spiritual maturity can be found in a man who is faithfully committed to his wife, a one-woman man. There's the weird translation, now the blind spot. First Timothy three and verse three, this is a blind spot. This one catches me off guard, because I always think of it as like more than what it is. Look at it with me. First Timothy three and verse three says, "You must me not be a heavy drinker, violent." Uh, that's pretty obvious. You can't have somebody that's a uh, cage fighter, um, probably being, being a, a, an elder or deacon, uh, spiritually mature. He must be gentle, and look at this one, not quarrelsome. I come across that word, not quarrelsome. What does that mean? That just means somebody that likes to argue a lot, right? I like the word contentious. It's a good word. It's a better word for this spot. You ever, you ever known a Christian pit bull? I'm not putting anybody down if you've got a pit bull. I'm just saying there's times when I've come across people who are Christian pit bulls. The person who is looking for the next tasty victim. It could be the latest outrage. It could be politics. This Christian uh, pit bull is out there defending viciously the Bible, the truth, the church and some may think, wow, that person is, is really committed committed to God. But I want you to understand, this word quarrelsome here, this contentious, can be for good, or it also can be for bad. If I'm contentious for the right things, if I'm a Christian pitbull, I'm still contentious. I've seen churches completely fall apart because someone is contentious. They argue. They might argue about all the right things, but they still argue about things. God put it on the list. God doesn't like it. Proverbs 17 and verse 19 says, Whoever loves to argue loves to sin. Hmm. God doesn't want Christian watchdogs. He can take care of himself. He's got this. I've seen many churches split and come apart at the seams because they have brought leaders in who are contentious and fought the fight. But once they were in, they also continually biting and viciously ripping people apart. If you hang out with someone who likes to bite, you know what? You might get bit. God put it on the list. He doesn't want us to be contentious. Uh, once again, I don't, want you to understand, I don't want you to think I'm putting down all these dogs. I mentioned what I, Jack Russell's and bulls. now. Man. We're, we're just going down the list. Spiritually speaking, if you hang out with someone who likes to bite, there's a good chance you might get bit. There's the blind spot. Now for the three surprises. I don't know really surprises are, but, but they are. They're, they're a little bit of surprise. These things have made the list, and um, they some, sometimes they're un, maybe unexpected. Paul even gave a little reason why with each of them, because he guessed that maybe Timothy wouldn't completely get it. We often think that spiritually, uh, spiritual matures is just a me and God thing, right? It's just a connection. It's a vertical connection. It's much more than that. It's horizontal connections as well. It's how we interact with the people around us. And um, that's, what's, that's what these surprises are all about. Number one, a family under control. 1 Timothy chapter 3 starting in verse 4. It says, he must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. And then the why. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? Once again, we're talking about, we're talking about progress, not perfection. We're looking, at, we're looking at a family, a man, a, a, a woman, a person who is trying to develop their family, Trying to pull their family under control. Pleasing God, fulfilling his will in our own lives means making our family a priority. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, this one's not on your notes. Um, starting in verse 32, we see that God's telling us that, that we can get more accomplished if we were to stay single. You remember coming across this passage? It says we're going to get a lot more done if we stay single. But, he says, if we have chosen to get married and have a family, your family is now priority. Your spiritual leadership ability is reliant on the priority you have put on taking care of your family. If a person wanting to be a leader in the Lord's church is focusing all their time on the church work and neglecting their own family, this person's not fit for spiritual leadership. As Christian parents, we can't control how our children turn out. That's not, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to give them our best effort. I want to turn this around for a second. I also want you to understand that it's, I've seen some parents pull away from church and away from God in order to focus on their family. That's a problem as well. If you want to put your family together, you need to scoot in as close to the congregation and as close to the church as you possibly can. That's what's going to help you pull your family together. Scoot in close. It's not soccer. It's not not vacation. It's not other activities. The Lord's church is where you need to pull your family together. Drop other stuff. Get your marriage together, drop all that other stuff and get your kids together, then you'll be on the right track. Spiritual maturity is found in a family that's well balanced. Once again, not perfect, but managed well. Well, Was that a surprise? Sometimes it is. The next one is not a recent convert. Number two surprises, it's not, they can't be a, a recent convert. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6 says, A church leader must not be a new believer because he might be, become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. We can be instantly spiritual, right? But we can't be instantly mature. When you give your life to God, when you, when you become a Christian, when your sins are washed away, you become instantly spiritual, but there's a whole lot of things that God wants you to go through on this journey that is going to make you into the mature Christian that he wants you to be. Some of those are trials. Some of those are, are situations that he's going to allow you to be in to, to develop your faith and to make you stronger. James chapter 1 and verse 2 it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. A young believer in a place of leadership will often slide into arrogance and pride. Proverbs 11:2 2 says, pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. A qualified leader, one who is spiritually mature, is tried and true. They've been around a while surprise number three a good reputation with non-Christians well that's weird, why, why, it, why does God care about that chapter, seven, or chapter 3 verse 7 of first Timothy says also people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap those who are not yet Christians think well of the spiritually mature why do you think so Because they're acting more like Christ did who did Christ hang out with who did Jesus Christ hang out with when he was on this earth he hung out with non-christians non-believers he was trying to help them become more like him to join in this journey who did he harass who did he he who did he step down on the most well, it was the religious people he didn't always agree with them but he has always had good reputation with the non-Christians. If we can't stand to hang out, if, with, if, if non-believers can't stand to hang out with you, I don't think they're going to want to hang out with Jesus either. If we're arrogant jerks, we can't, we can't bring those non-believers to God. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11 says, make, your goal, make it your goal to live a quiet life minding your own business and working with your hands just as you instruct, we instructed you to before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. I want to end with this passage of Scripture in First Peter. It says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires, to separate yourself from them, right? This, the, the wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials that he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. It is God's will that, you, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you, for you are free. Yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the King. I love the way Paul talks to, to Timothy in this passage of Scripture, how he dives into these benchmarks, these milestones of spiritual maturity. I love the way he, he gives the list. I love the, way, the things that aren't on that list. I appreciate the fact that there's, there's some of those things that did not make that list. So taking a look at those marks of maturity, what traits? What traits in spiritual leaders should I look for to follow? And what traits do I need to instill within my own life to move toward spiritual maturity? Each and every one of us are leaders in our own way. Believe it or not, even some of the youngsters that don't think of themselves as leaders, we may not think of them as leaders. They are. They're leading. And as we lead them and as we guide them, each and every one of us are leaders in some way, shape, or form. We're going to lead others in the right way. As we develop our own relationship with God, these milestones, these benchmarks should be instilled within us. We should aim for them. This is the bullseye that we're aiming for. Let's gather our crazy life and let's aim it at what God wants us to aim it at. Church blueprints, absolutely. This is what God wants in His church. This is what God wants for those spiritually mature in the church. Let's see what we can do to get that accomplished. Thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate it very much. I hope that there's been some things that that we have shared that can bless your life. And.